The Old Testament reading for this, the 19th Sunday after Pentecost, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the book of Genesis, the second chapter. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, And we're not ashamed. And this is the word of the Lord. He will command his angels concerning you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The epistle reading comes from the letter to the Hebrews, the second chapter. Therefore, We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, Distributed according to his will. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Pharisees came up, and in order to test Jesus, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you notice today that there is an extra verse in our Old Testament reading? I've been there for a few years now, but if you think back to 2006 and before, I'm sure you'll all remember that this reading was a little bit shorter. Because back then, years ago, we were still using the older pericope system, the one that stopped at verse 24, but not anymore. Now, under our current system, we go right on, all the way to the end of verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's the verse that's now included in our Old Testament reading for this Sunday. And some would say that it's one verse too many, that we should have left it the way it was. Because before it was a beautiful account of Adam and Eve, how they complete one another, how creation wasn't done until this final step of giving Adam his companion and wife. And now we have to go make the whole thing weird, because now we can't remember any of that All we remember is that the pastor just said the word naked in church. Did you squirm a little? Get a little uncomfortable? Yes, you did. I can see you from up here. Why are we so uncomfortable with that word, naked? Why do we not want to hear that word in church? Well, because the world has made it a dirty thing, has sexualized it and cheapened it. We blush a little bit when we hear it in pleasant company. We laugh and giggle when we hear it in unpleasant company. And we feel embarrassed and uncomfortable 
when we see those medieval and renaissance paintings and statues of people without clothes. I mean, for crying out loud, give them a fig leaf or something. Naked is dirty and exposed and shameful. But it wasn't always that way. In the Garden of Eden, before sin, there was no shame because God created everything good and right. All God's creation was perfect and without sin, and so there was no need of shame. We could stand before one another and before God with nothing to hide, nothing to hope that someone didn't see. But sin changed all of that, and now we do indeed feel shame. We want to hide ourselves, embarrassed of what others might think. We don't want anyone to see us for who we really are, see all of our faults and our shortcomings. Sin has driven a wedge between us. It's broken our relationship with God and with one another. So that where once there was no shame whatsoever, now everything that we do, everything that we are, it's tainted and corrupted by sin, leaving us rightly filled with shame. Did you ever realize that sometimes because of sin, shame is a good thing? When we feel shame, that's our natural God-given instinct, recognizing that what we've done is wrong. That's one of those beautiful ways that God takes something that was never intended for us, the feeling of shame, and uses it for our benefit. But we don't always benefit from it, do we? In fact, because of the brazen nature of sin in our rotten culture today, very few people feel the benefits of shame because we've been taught to do what feels good rather than what is right. We've been taught to live by the selfish libertine motto of ain't no shame in my game. You see, there's a huge difference between being not ashamed and being shameless. In our sinful world, there's little shame because we want to pretend that everything is good and right. We want to do away with this idea that some things are wrong and anything that we want to do should be good. And so stop feeling the shame. Sins that used to be hidden, secretive, a black mark on an entire family, well, now they're flaunted and they're treated like a good thing. Homosexuality. Until recently, it was classified as a psychiatric disorder. Now, it's flaunted as normal and good. And anyone who dares says otherwise is an intolerant bigot and an idiot to boot. Because everybody's doing it, so how could it possibly be wrong? What used to be shameful is now a point of pride. But it's not just that. Heterosexual relationships, they've lost all sense of shame as well. Premarital sex. There was a time when people knew that sex before marriage was wrong, that it messed up the relationship, that chastity was virtuous and something to strive for. Now, sadly, we kind of assume that nobody's actually waiting, and even sadder, we're often right. We don't even tell our kids how wrong it is while they're still young enough to care what we think. And instead, they get bombarded with this wretched message of our world that if you aren't having sex by high school, well, then something must be wrong with you, and you should be ashamed. How about living together before marriage? Remember when that was called shacking up, or more accurately, living in sin? Now it's the normal thing to do. 
despite so many studies that show how much damage it does to the relationship and the future of the relationship. The world says, we don't need that. Live together, have a couple kids, then maybe decide you're ready for the commitment of marriage. Or don't. Who cares, right? It doesn't matter. Speaking of the commitment of marriage, look at what our culture has done with divorce. It used to be if someone in your family was divorced, you never talked about it. Barely acknowledged that they existed, hoped the neighbors didn't find out your shameful secret. Now, we joke about it. We refer to our spouses as our future former wife, talk about first marriages as starter marriages, as if life gets better the more times we're married and divorced. It doesn't. It gets worse. It gets more complicated. It gets harder. But hey, ain't no shame in my game. All these sexual sins and so much more, they completely go against God's will and they just continue to strain and break our relationships with one another, dumping so much unnecessary pain and shame into our lives. In these and so many other ways, we completely defy the beauty of family that God has given to us. That one thing that has carried over from before the fall into sin. The one thing that God gave us, husband, wife, children. And we throw it away. And we say we can do better. There's more fun. It's more exciting. It's more like what everybody else is doing. So that's what we're going to chase after. We've tossed out chaste relationships. We've thrown away permanent marriages. We have thrown out children being raised to know the Lord and to do what is right, to walk in the faithful footsteps of their parents. And yet, because we continue to listen to our wretched, sinful culture instead of God, we keep on sinning. We keep doing this and so many other things, and we convince ourselves to feel no shame. That if we don't feel bad, if we convince ourselves that this is okay because everybody else is doing it, well, then what we're doing isn't actually bad. Ain't no shame in my game. Well, you know what, Skippy? There should be. Because of God's law, we should feel shame at all the sinful things that we do. We should feel shame at, his, at disobeying His will and His ways. We should feel shame at the sinful, wretched way that we live our lives like animals and then act surprised when bad things happen. So many people think that the solution is to get rid of the law, get rid of the old-fashioned values, get rid of morals and decency so people don't feel that shame anymore. Stop telling them to feel bad and they'll stop feeling bad. But that's treating a symptom while ignoring the root cause. God's law is clear. We all are sinners. And because of that, we are deserving of eternal death. Whether we feel the shame or not, that is an absolute truth. Whether we accept that law or not, it is an absolute truth, and every one of us will stand before God's throne of judgment, held accountable, not by our feelings, not by our culture's standards, not by what Netflix told us, but held to God's standard, which does not change. Last week, we heard how we all deserve to be mutilated, blinded, and drowned because of our sin. 
We see all throughout the Bible and in our own lives how sin separates us from one another, how it causes pain and suffering, how it separates us from God, how it ruins every part of our lives. But when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, that's when we see the real price of sin. It's your misdeeds that crucified Jesus. It's your sin that killed God. When you look at that cross, you should feel the deepest shame ever. Because there on that cross, Jesus Christ, God himself who had taken on our flesh, the creator of all things, the ruler of all things, immortal and perfect and all-powerful, he died under the most horrible, most shameful death imaginable because of what you have done. When we sinners look to the cross, we ought to feel shame because he endured the pain, the mockery, the agony, the humiliating death simply because our sin had to be paid for. Without his death, we are lost and condemned sinners who deserve only the eternal fires of hell. At the foot of the cross, seeing our Lord Jesus Christ dead, we sinners should feel the deepest shame imaginable. And yet, at the same time, we should also feel the greatest joy as well. Because even though we regret that it was our sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross, we know that it was his love for us that kept him there. Could he have come down from the cross? Absolutely. Could he have spared himself all that pain and humiliation and death? Yes, he could have, but we would have been lost. And so for you, dear sinner, out of his love for you, he died the death that should have been yours for eternity. And because of God's gospel, we know that our shame will be taken away forever. Because of Jesus Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection, because he has cleansed us of all of our sin, we know that the shame of sin will not be with us forever. Now this doesn't mean that we should just sin it up without shame and not care about it. Absolutely not. We should take sin as seriously as God does. We should strive to keep it out of our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. We should admonish our friends and our family when they too are lost in sin and say there is a much better way that God has given us. It doesn't mean that we live a shameless life. But the cross of Jesus means that we know for certain our shame is not eternal like we deserve. Washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now holy, innocent, and righteous in the eyes of God. Made clean and perfect to stand utterly exposed before his heavenly throne and not be ashamed. And even here on earth, while we're still plagued and tormented by our sinful nature, we can recognize those shameful deeds in our lives. We can put them away. We can turn in faith and love to our Lord and his ways of righteousness. And because of all that our Lord has given us, because he has shed his blood for us, because he fills us with his Holy Spirit and washes us daily by our baptism, we need not be ashamed to be his followers. You know, too often, that's where we feel the shame in our life. Too often, we hide our faith away. We don't speak up when Christianity is belittled because we don't want to look like that kind of a Christian. In truth, though, 
It's because we're ashamed of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to be associated with him in the real world out there. But despite that, despite our sin, despite our shame, Christ is not ashamed of us. He is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters, his sons and daughters, his beloved church. He is not ashamed to put his name upon you and let you be his ambassador in this world, representing his glorious, holy perfection to the world of darkness and sin around us. And so we can rejoice in that truth every day of our lives. We can be bold Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit, living out our faith unashamedly, proclaiming Christ's love in everything that we do and especially in everything that we don't do. Even if it makes us stand out from the crowd. Even if it makes, us, makes people call us names and hate us. Even if it goes against the law of man. We can be bold Christians, unashamed to publicly wear the name of Jesus Christ, to speak his holy and unchanging word, to live by his loving eternal law, and to share his glorious gospel with everyone. And even if the world hates us, we look forward to that glorious day when Christ comes again and all our shame will be removed forever. We will have nothing at all to hide, nothing to mock one another about, nothing to be ashamed of. Not because we're such good little Christians and have shaped up our lives and now we're perfect, but because we have been cleansed by Jesus Christ and we have been clothed in his robe of righteousness. And so we will all stand together, naked or not, covered in Christ's robe of righteousness, perfectly praising him for all eternity in that perfect paradise that he has prepared and won for us. No more pain and suffering. No more sin and evil deeds. No more temptation to hide away from God's holy word. In short, no shame and nothing to be ashamed of. Simply because of Jesus Christ's love for us. His sacrificial death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the tomb. Because of that, Despite the fact that we are by nature sinful and unclean, we are not ashamed. Because Jesus Christ is not ashamed of us. We undeserving, shameful sinners, we know the truth of God's glorious gospel. That Jesus was not ashamed to come to us in the flesh and call us his own. He has suffered and died in our place. He has defeated sin, death, and the devil. And he has risen again to open the gates of heaven. To all those who believe. And since he's done this, we are not ashamed to be called Christians. We are not ashamed to boldly live in the forgiveness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to confess to the world that God's way is so much better than the world's way, and that we are forgiven sinners, that this body will rise again to perfection and eternal life in the paradise of heaven, simply because by faith, we know the truth of God's word, and we are not ashamed of the eternal victory that he alone has given us. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. <laughs>